Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Great to have you back. Simon Leisha here in beautiful Melbourne, Australia, and I am joined by a guest, a guest that many of you will know well. Uh, he's a manager of solutions architecture. He's been at AWS for quite some time. Uh, you may call him Dean Samuels. I would call him the king of the black belt tips. Welcome, Dean, to the podcast. Thank you very much, Simon. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for that lovely introduction. <laughs> You went to see. I warned Dean in advance that I wasn't going to tell him what the introduction was, and I think I've I've shocked him now, which is great. Um, so, so, Dean, how long have you been at AWS these days? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while, going on to about five years now, uh, Simon. I actually remember back uh, when I first started, uh, you know, joining you as part of the team. I think you actually interviewed me as well. Uh, all that. Back, I recall back it that way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's good to have you on the podcast and you were saying that you do listen to the podcast from time to time on your way to work. So now you can hear yourself on the podcast, which is always great. Yeah, absolutely. Like I mentioned, definitely a big fan of the podcast. It's a great way to keep up to date with all these exciting new features and services that uh, comes from Amazon. Cool. So one of the most popular parts of the podcast that people always talk to me about and say, hey, we want more of this, we want more of this is the Black Belt Tips and you, my friend, are the king of the black belt tips. You're well known on the uh, AWS Summit Circuit for creating um, one of the most popular sessions, which is always the black belt tips. And it is a highly visual medium with lots of uh, animations and stuff, but we're going to try and cover some black belt tips together today using the power of audio. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds like a great thing. Yeah, I definitely uh, built up a reputation with these uh, black belt tips, uh, like you mentioned over the Summit series that we hold uh, every year and uh, it's uh, fantastic to be able to share some of my um, experiences and some uh, recommendations of really making the, uh, the life of an uh, operations person um, a lot easier and a lot better when uh, leveraging the AWS platform. So great to be able to share it uh, over this uh, medium today. For sure. And then the, the, the nice thing with this is we can't even wave our hands around. We just have to use uh, use the power of the voice. So let's let's kick on. So one of the first black belt tips you're bringing to the table relates to the simple storage service, S3, one of our oldest and most loved services. And one of the things that S3 does really well is lets you store a virtually unlimited number of objects in a highly durable way. Uh, now, it's one thing to store all those objects. It's another thing to find them. Now, you have some black belt tips specifically around that domain. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, like, like you did mention there, Simon, you know, S3 is a uh, commonly used service, one of uh, our original services as well from, uh, from AWS. And uh, one of the great things with uh, S3 is we've been constantly iterating and innovating on, on the service since its uh, release in 2006. Uh, and one of the um, uh, features of S3 is something called uh, event notifications. And basically what that means is that any time some type of read, sorry, some type of write or uh, delete transaction happens to the S3 service, you can actually send out these notifications. So you can be told exactly what's happening with your, um, your S3 bucket or your S3 uh, service. Now, when uh, S3 was originally brought out, it did have this feature of event notifications for reduced redundancy. And so just to recap, reduced redundancy is another storage option with Amazon S3 to basically reduce your cost by storing non-critical uh, reproducible data at lower levels of redundancy than Amazon's um, S3 standard storage. Uh, and what basically would happen is uh, 
once if an object is lost, if stored uh, as reduced redundancy, you'd actually receive that notification. Now, over the last couple of years, we've actually extended that facility to now also send notifications in the event of objects being created and also objects being deleted. And what you can actually do is pass on those notifications to either the um, Amazon SQS, Amazon SNS, or the AWS Lambda services to then start uh, uh, processing or, or, or do particular types of work with those, um, those newly created objects or recently deleted uh, objects. And so one of the recommendations I have is that you can actually build an inventory or an index of all the objects that you have stored in S3. So you could use a common data store to actually store references to those objects. And the reason you'd want to do that is listing and uh, searching objects directly through the S3 service is not actually optimal. You actually have some limitations um, around listing objects in S3. There's actually a, a limit in the number of objects that are returned for each request. And there's also a, a cost that is incurred each time you uh, do a, an actual list of uh, objects in S3. And so what this basically means, Simon, is that uh, as you uh, build up your objects in, in the S3 bucket, um, so once you start reaching thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of objects, listing or searching objects in S3 directly becomes suboptimal. And so the recommendation I have is that uh, you can actually create a S3 event notification so that when objects are created or put into the S3 bucket, you can uh, execute a Lambda function to actually um, store an index or a reference to that newly created object in a data store of your choice. So it could be something like a DynamoDB table or it could be something like a relational database, depending on how you want to query for those objects um, in the future. Similarly, when objects are deleted, you can actually have a Lambda function that will also remove that reference to that uh, object in, um, uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the data store. And you can actually extend the use of this S3 notification, um, event notification feature uh, one of the things that uh, I also talk to some of my customers about doing is being able to automatically um, perform things like virus scanning. So you can think of uh, uh, when you're using S3 as a upload location for uh, some of your users' files and you want to automatically perform some type of scanning on those files, you can use S3 event notification to do that. And what would actually happen is when the user uploads the, uh, the file uh, into the S3 bucket, you'll have something like a Lambda function or a backend process which will automatically uh, uh, pull down that file and actually perform some type of virus scanning. And if a virus is actually detected in that file, it could actually move that file into some type of quarantine area or maybe actually delete the file. And then you can also do some other things with S3 event notification. So things like automatically um, hashing or renaming the objects um, to, to, uh, to something else. And why you would do that is uh, because when you start uh, uh, getting to um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of files in S3, including a hash or a randomization in the object name, actually improves the, uh, the, the, the read and write performance of those objects on the S3 service. That's, you know, one of the things with um, S3 events that I really love is it, it just makes the plumbing part so much easier. It's like you just create this completely event-driven architecture that is then triggering Lambda functions when and as you need them and creating some sort of transformation or some sort of optimization in your environment, which means you're not doing a big scan through millions of objects. You don't have housekeeping jobs. Uh, you don't have to have uh, systems up and running for long periods of time. It's just that on, true on-demand effect, which is really powerful, isn't it? 
Yeah, exactly right. And you're really implementing a, a, an entire automated process for the full life cycle of, of all the objects that you have stored uh, stored in S3. So it definitely makes the, uh, the life of an operator a lot easier. Fantastic. That's a great tip. So one of the things I really like about this uh, event-driven architecture is not only do you reduce the amount of infrastructure you need and make it sort of simpler to put things together, but you move away from this kind of pipeline predictable approach to a just-in-time approach. And there's a really interesting black belt tip you've got around DNS that I know a lot of customers want to do this and you've got a nice little tip on how to optimize it. But I'm not going to give it away, so you can t- tell us all about it. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite tips, uh, uh, Simon. If you think about uh, you know the, the use of the AWS platform, one of the things that we do recommend to to customers is that environments are typically going to be very transient or very short lived. Um, what that what that basically means is there may be some operation operational requirements as servers, for example, come and go, and, and one of those uh, uh, operational requirements, like you mentioned, is DNS. Um, so uh, our customers still leverage DNS as a way to um, uh, ensure that their applications are um, uh, integrated and connected together. Um, but one of the problems with a very transient, short-lived environment is these uh, DNS configurations can uh, can quickly change. So, for example, IP addresses for um, servers hosting your particular application could actually change as the environment scales up, scales down, or actually gets replaced. And so one of the recommendations I have with um, uh, with the platform is implementing some type of dynamic DNS so that when instances uh, come and go, uh, your DNS configuration gets automatically updated. And you can actually do this by leveraging two particular um, uh, features and services. One is uh, CloudWatch events. So Amazon CloudWatch events enables you to respond quickly to application availability issues or resource changes. Uh, you actually get a notification from AWS services delivered in near real, t- real time. And so what you can actually do is you can write a particular rule to react to an event where instances are either launched or instances are actually terminated. And the actual rule that you could write is an update to uh, one of our other services, Route 53, which will uh, basically have the new uh, configuration information of the instance that has uh, recently been launched or removes the configuration information for instances that have been actually removed. And the uh, way to execute this particular rule is through our old friend AWS Lambda. And so AWS Lambda will actually execute the rule to uh, to to include, for example, an A record, a PTR record, or even a C name of a new instance that is actually launched or remove that resource record when the instance is actually uh, actually terminated. And the way we actually go about doing this is uh, we use our, um, our tagging or resource tagging. And so we can actually attach tags like the hosted zone uh, or the C name of an instance that has been recently launched. And what your Lambda function will do is when it sees uh, the instance has been launched through CloudWatch events, it will actually uh, query query the uh, EC2 API for that particular instance, identify the tags that have been associated. So, for example, the C name and the hosted zone, and then update the appropriate resource record in uh, in Route 53. It's a fantastic little flow there. And um, if you think about the number of times that sort of workflow can take place, having it in a nice, automated, reliable, compact uh, style is uh, is the trick. And I remember we used to do a whole lot of stuff with um, bootstrapping from within the EC2 instance and having to emit new records and do all that sort of stuff. By having 
uh, lambda in the in in play, it actually makes it a lot simpler. And certainly, one of the the patterns I'm seeing a lot of um, customers is people who are doing kind of um, operational type work with lambda tend to use Python because they can use the um, the Python AWS SDK or Boto as they probably call it. And, um, and use that as the mechanism to interact, which they would do anyway from a sort of scripting perspective, but suddenly they're doing it in an event-driven perspective. So it just expands the power of what they're already using day-to-day. Yeah, exactly. And you, and you mentioned user data there, um, Simon. So, I, mean, I, you know, I am a fan of user data. So user data is the ability to execute commands or scripts when an EC2 instance, whether it's Windows or Linux, um, actually launches. But the problem with user data is it typically only gets executed once, and that's on the first time that the instance boots up. Um, so if you do want to implement some type of dynamic DNS by actually controlling the Route 53 configuration externally um, from the uh, instance that's actually launched, in this case we're leveraging uh, CloudWatch events and Lambda, that basically means that we can uh, uh, maintain the configuration of that instance not only on launch but also when it actually gets terminated as well. Fantastic. That's really good. Really good little tip, that one. Now, it wouldn't be a set of black belt tips without talking about security, would it? I think we've got to, we've got to cover that topic. Absolutely. <laughs> now, security and the capabilities available to our customers constantly evolves and gets more and more uh, sophisticated within AWS, which is great. And one of the things that certainly early users of AWS were very familiar with was creating kind of different users um, to do different things uh, in their workspace or, or in the context of work they were doing, be it automation, etc. And we now have much better facilities for that now that um, people should definitely be using. So um, what's our final black belt tip? Yeah, so the final uh, black belt tip is really around limiting the use of IAM users uh, in favor of uh, another feature of IAM, which is IAM roles. So if we have a look at the evolution of uh, user accounts on uh, the AWS platform, all that uh, actually ties into the Identity and Access Management Service, or IAM. Uh, and what it actually started off with is we had the recommendation that when you create a, an AWS account and start using the resources, one of the first things you actually do is you might, might create an administrator or power user IAM uh, account. Um, it's the same concept as uh, an operating system. As an operating system, you have the root or administrator user, and then you create uh, normal or everyday users under that uh, root, uh, root account. Same idea with the AWS platform. So you have your root or your administrator um, account, which is the uh, email address that you used when you registered uh, for an AWS account, but you typically don't log in with that uh, account on a day-to-day basis to the AWS platform. And so you would create that power user uh, or IAM user as your everyday user account for AWS. Uh, the problem with IAM users, though, is that the credentials that uh, get assigned um, aren't automatically cycled. And so you would have to um, uh, either manually or through some type of automated script cycle through those credentials and then ensure that those credentials get securely uh, propagated or sent to the to the uh, IAM users. Um, by leveraging IAM... And, and the reason, just on that, the, re- the reason why we always emphasize the rotation of credentials is that it's good security practice to keep your credentials changing on a regular basis in case there is an undetected compromise of some sort. So when you're dealing with any credentials on any system, a rotation policy is really important, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we have had um, situations in the past where um, our AWS users have inadvertently um, had their credentials out in the wild, in the public domain. 
And if you aren't rotating those credentials, those uh, uh, those uh, the ones that are in the public domain can be used uh, maliciously by unauthorized users. So it is always standard practice or good practice to be rotating your AWS credentials, very similar to how you rotate your maybe application user credentials or your operating system user credentials. So how does your tip help us do that with less pain? Sure. So, so uh, by leveraging uh, IAM roles, so IAM roles is a feature of the IAM service where you can actually assign temporary or short-lived credentials to a specific entity or a specific object. So, for example, a very common use case of IAM roles is with EC2, our, uh, our, uh, our virtual machine service. Basically, uh, what would happen is when an EC2 instance is launched, you can assign it an IAM role so that when functions and commands and scripts are executed within that instance, they will be ex executed using the credentials um, of the IAM role that has been assigned. And what AWS will actually do is we will automatically cycle the credentials that are being allocated to the EC2 instance uh, at regular intervals. And so the AWS user doesn't need to worry about cycling it. But the IAM roles can also be used for other services and other uh, other uh, technologies as well. So IAM roles are also allocated to, for example, your Lambda functions. So your Lambda functions can take on the permissions or take on the identity um, of, a, of, of an IAM um, role and use those short-lived credentials, which, again, will automatically be cycled. When we talk about identity federation, though, so this is the idea that you can take your existing identity uh, provider, um, whether you use something on premise or something uh, over the uh, over the internet, you can actually still maintain or use your identity from that third party identity provider. But you can request through the IAM service uh, a temporary credentials, and essentially what would happen is your identity from that third party identity provider would actually map to a particular IAM role which will then have uh, certain credentials that you could then reuse. And again, we'll actually cycle through those uh, those credentials, so uh, at, at regular intervals. You could actually take it one step further, and this is what I do in, in my environments, is you can actually, uh, with those temporary credentials, generate a one-time uh, one time signed URL, which is access to the console. So if you need access to the management console, uh, you don't need to log in uh, with your standard username and password. Using uh, temporary credentials that are assigned from the IAM role, you can actually make a request to the console, which has an API, which will actually then uh, return back uh, or respond back with a URL that you can use for uh, a limited time, and it's a one-time um, signed URL, so that you have seamless access to the actual management uh, console. And the way I actually implement this is by using a what I call an operations instance. So it's an EC2 instance with an IAM role um, assigned. Uh, the instance, of course, could be Windows or Linux. Um, and so when I actually securely log into that uh, EC2 um, uh, instance, uh, I automatically have a one-time signed URL generated for me that allows me to then have seamless access to the management console from that operations instance. That's awesome. And that's, that's you know, one of the things with IAM that I really like is it is such a rich environment in terms of the features and functionality it provides and roles is something you can turn to pretty much any application. And combined with the identity federation piece, it, it really is a linchpin of creating a really scalable and secure system. So it's, it's definitely worth listeners uh, investing a little bit of time to read up on and, and maybe sharpen up on that that capability. So uh, a great black belt tip there, Dean. Thanks for that. No problem. Now, we've reached the end of this episode. Um, we've covered a lot of ground, so I'm sure some people's heads are spinning. 
Um, but we will definitely do another episode in the not-too-distant future because I know you've got a, a deep collection of black belt tips and we just have to figure out how to articulate them without drawing. I think that's the, the next stage. There might be a technology called television, but I don't think we're going to go there. But uh, we'll definitely have you back soon, Dean. How's that sound? Uh, absolutely. I uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for, for coming on board. And thanks again for listening. We'd love to get your feedback, AWS Podcast at Amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.